Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page, and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and today I'm doing a solo show on Druids, Freemasons, and Frankenstein, the darker side of Bath, England which just happens to be where I live. (laughs) So Bath is known for its ancient Roman spa, medieval abbey and sweeping Georgian terraces. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site in Somerset in the southwest of England, and visitors often come on a circular cultural trip that takes in Stonehenge and Stratford-on-Avon. But it's not all Jane Austen bonnets, Regency dresses and afternoon tea. There is a darker and more interesting side to Bath if you escape the tourist traps and explore the layers beneath. In this episode, I'll talk about the city I currently call home. I'll be going through how finding a map shop helped me discover a different side of Bath, the city of Frankenstein, ley lines, druids and Freemasons, Pagans, cursed tablets and ancient gods, angels and demons and the dead of Bath Abbey, walking the Kennet and Avon Canal, how the pandemic helped me find peace in calling Bath my home, and then a few recommended eating and drinking spots away from the tourist traps and recommended books about or set in Bath. How finding a map shop helped me discover a different side to Bath. My husband, Jonathan, and I moved to Bath in 2015, and we bought a house high on the hill overlooking the valley in 2019. I can happily say that this is my city now, but for the first six months of living here, I thought we'd made a terrible mistake. We were thinking of moving out of London in 2014, and we came to Bath one weekend to visit Jonathan's cousin, who was joining in the Jane Austen Festival. Think period drama come to life for ten days of bonnets, regency dresses and fans held over coy smiles. Many people love it and come from all over the world to join in, but it is my idea of hell. (laughs) I decided I couldn't possibly live somewhere so twee and excessively moored in the past. But a year later, we found ourselves living in a flat behind the Royal Crescent, the sweeping Georgian terrace so beloved of tourists doing architectural selfies. Jonathan had left his consulting job to join my creative business, so we were free to move wherever we wanted, and Bath has a lot going for it. It's an hour from both of my long-divorced parents, and we wanted to be in a city with easy train travel to London. It's about an hour... 30 an hour 45 to London and to an airport Bristol airport which is about 40 minutes drive from here is fantastic with destinations all over Europe when not in a pandemic of course I also didn't want to be in a city where I had a previous history so we did consider Oxford which I love but it belongs to my university years as I talked about in previous episode and I went to school in Bristol where my mum now lives. I love my mum but I didn't want to live in the same city. Bath is only uh, 15 minutes by train so it's not that far away. So we moved here in mid 2015 and as I said quickly felt like we'd made a mistake. (laughs) 
So there is a buzz in London that keeps everything revved up. It keeps the pulse racing and you walk faster to keep up with city life. You have to just keep moving. And it seems as if everyone is achieving more than you, faster than you. And there is always so much to do and see and experience. And you never have enough time to do it all. You, you can never really stop in London. If you stand still, everyone else has already moved on. And I do love that. I absolutely love London. Um, but we moved out because we wanted a slower pace. We wanted to be closer to nature and walk and cycle away from the city. But Bath felt so slow and small in those first few months. Our choices felt diminished by the smaller physical location. But what was interesting is about six months later, that buzz faded. That addiction lessened with time. And now when I go back to London, or at least I did when I did go back to London pre-pandemic, I find it invigorating but tiring because of the pace. And I look forward to coming home again and getting away from the city. And as I said, I just could not identify with the Jane Austen bonnet side of Bath, uh, which you see even walking down into town, you go past the museum and I'm just not a ribbons and bonnets type of girl. So how could I find my home here in this place that seemed so perfect? Now, for me, it's all about writing and my fiction is rooted in my sense of place. All my story ideas start with a setting and a place and the things that happened in that place emerge, stories emerge from that for me. Now, my Brooke and Daniel thrillers are all set in London and my love for the city is clear in those books, in the thoughts and words of Jamie and Blake and how I write about the city of, of London. And I love it and I do want to write more of those because even though London is different for me now I still absolutely love going back and I thought that perhaps if I set a book in Bath I would learn more about the place and find something to anchor myself. I could not believe that the city was just sickly sweet Jane Austen nostalgic romance. There had to be more, there had to be a dark side. So I started writing in a local cafe and walked almost every weekday from our flat down through Margaret Buildings, which is a pedestrianised street near the Royal Crescent, around the circus and on to the coffee shop. I would always stop and look in the window of Jonathan Potter's antique map shop as I passed, fascinated by the lines on paper and vellum that represented the physical world. Now, I've always loved maps and globes. When I was growing up, my mum put a map of the world on the wall. We went to school in Malawi, which I've talked about in a previous episode, and I could see where that was. And I learned the countries and capital cities. And I'm pretty good at the geography category on pub quizzes and trivial pursuits. <laughs> Over the years, I have bought many atlases and map books. And when I, even when I had a Filofax diary, this came back to me as I was writing this. I had this Filofax diary back in the 90s. Um, those of you of a certain age will remember the Filofax. I think it's probably still around, but <laughs> you, uh, most people use their phone, I guess, now. But I had this Filofax diary and I, you could buy special inserts and I bought a map insert. So I had this uh, world map that I could always open up when I was at my job and I wanted to kind of think about getting away, which was a lot. Uh, so I always carried the world with me. And of course, now we have smartphones and instant Google Maps, which I, I use a lot to figure out where things are. And I actually have a map of the world in front of me as I write this, stuck on my wall so I can look up and see the world. I have that 
right above my desk. So I just love having that perspective on on the world. Now, back on the map shop, the cartographer, Jonathan Potter, worked at his desk in the shop. And one day I went in and bought his book, Collecting Antique Maps. Not that I want to collect antique maps, but I certainly collect books. And the field of cartography has so much gorgeous imagery. And as I walked past each day, an idea started to form. What if I could walk through the maps to the places they depicted? What if I didn't have to get on a flight for 28 hours to go to New Zealand? (laughs) That would be awesome. And what if there was another world on the other side of the map? And that idea became the seed for Map of Shadows, the first in my Map Walker adventure fantasy trilogy. Uh, Sienna Farron inherits that particular map shop from her grandfather and I should say Jonathan Potter is an older guy and so I thought about him being a grandfather perhaps and so Sienna inherits the map shop and discovers she is part of a line of map walkers who can walk through maps and even make new ones with powerful blood magic and the Ministry of Maps which is uh, obviously lots of other people with this different kinds of magic lies under Bath Abbey and there is a portal to the borderlands through the plane trees in the middle of the circus. One of the map walker team, Miller, even lives on the canal where I walk a lot. Now Jonathan Potter closed his map shop a few years ago. You won't find it there anymore although it is online and uh, there are other map shops in Bath if you do come. It feels like wonderful creative serendipity that he was there and his shop was there in this initial period when I was searching for what to write about in Bath because it is so much more than the Roman spa and the sweeping Georgian terraces. Welcome to the darker side of my city. Pagans, cursed tablets and ancient gods. There are layers to Bath and the most ancient begins at the hot springs. Once a pagan shrine and later turned into a spa by the Romans, it is well worth visiting the Roman baths, but definitely book in advance as they get busy. Originally dedicated to Sul, the pagan goddess of healing, the Romans did what they did so often across the empire and very well. (laughs) They combined the pagan goddess with one of their own, creating Sulis Minerva, making it easier to integrate the religion of local people with the invaders. The hot springs and temple turned into the town of Aquae Sulis around 60 CE. So you can walk around the steaming pools and get a sense of how the Romans must have come to relax. But you also find this evidence of a darker side. Over 100 curse tablets have been found in the waters, rolled thin sheets of metal with pleas to the goddess. Some were binding curses against love rivals or sporting competitors, and others were demanding justice for wrongdoing and punishment for those responsible. If you do visit, don't pay a ton of money to drink the water at the pump rooms. It's disgusting. (laughs) I've also tried a couple of the local spas. And while I find the Termite Bath Spa, which has this incredible picture of a rooftop pool, which looks amazing, but I found it very crowded. uh, It's definitely a cheaper option, but not my favourite. I do highly recommend the Gainsborough. So there are ways to partake of the waters still. 
And obviously in the show notes to this episode, there are lots of pictures and links to lots of different places. So you'll find more detail in the show notes. And of course, you can always find that booksandtravel.page forward slash listen and all the show notes for each episode are there. And I always try and put loads of nice pictures and I have a lot of nice pictures of Bath. It is very picturesque. (laughs) Angels and Demons and the Dead of Bath Abbey. So if you visit the Roman baths, you can't miss the abbey. It is right next to it, (laughs) looming over the great bath itself. You can even take a picture from one side of the baths that incorporates Roman statues, these sunken waters, which are quite green, and the Gothic architecture of the abbey beyond. It's built of bath stone, which a lot of the buildings are, obviously, uh, a local limestone that gives the buildings a distinctive warm honey colour in a certain light and makes photographers very happy. So stand in front of the ornate wooden door of the abbey and look at the Jacob's Ladder carvings on either side. And I still remember when I first realised what was happening on these Jacob Ladders because you you think, oh, abbey, lovely angels going up to heaven. And indeed, most of those angels are climbing the ladder up to heaven, but some are crawling down. You think horror movie when uh, things crawl down the walls, like, you know, one of the horror tropes is that something is, look up, something's going to be above you or crawling down the walls or something. And uh, there are a couple of these angels, or maybe they're demons, crawling down the ladder. And I just love that. I think that's fantastic. Now, it was likely that there was a pagan temple on the site originally, but its Christian heritage begins with a convent established in the 7th century, so it's really old, which later became a monastery rebuilt by Offa, king of Mercia, in the 8th century. In 973, so over a thousand years ago, King Edgar was crowned at the church and Bath became a rich abbey during the Middle Ages, before being stripped of its wealth during the dissolution of the monasteries in 1539. Then restoration started again under Queen Elizabeth I, but the major restoration happened in the late 1800s. So what you see today is this layers of faith over many centuries. Now, in terms of the dead, decomposing bodies under the floor of the abbey caused subsidence because as things decayed and disappeared, they left kind of these pockets of air and the floor started to subside. The Bath Abbey footprint project has excavated underneath and is redesigning the abbey for the future, using the hot springs as an eco-friendly way to heat the abbey. And I love this. I think this is fantastic because with the idea of the pagan um, peoples worshipping at this hot spring and this shrine, and now we have the Christian abbey that now is sort of fused together using the hot springs to heat this uh, way that people now worship. So really fascinating. And then if you're looking for a graveyard, the Bath dead (laughs) are not buried anywhere near the abbey. There isn't a graveyard around the abbey. It's up the hill, not very far in Widcombe, just a short walk from the centre of town. It's a beautiful graveyard with a view back over the city. I'll link to that in the notes too. The City of Frankenstein 
While you're visiting this area of town, check out the plaque between the main entrance to the pump rooms and the Roman baths, which marks the spot where a boarding house once stood, within which Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. It is somewhat ironically above an electrical power unit. (laughs) Now, she famously had the idea for Frankenstein during a storm at Lord Byron's house in Geneva, and that's the one that gets romanticised. But she actually wrote much of the book in this boarding house in Bath, while living in scandal after she eloped with the poet Percy Shelley. Now, it was not a happy time. You know, she was basically a a teenager. And uh, I highly recommend the Frankenstein in Bath walking tour by the theatre company Show of Strength, which gives a fascinating insight into the desperate family situation Mary lived through and the choices she made out of love for Shelley and also how much of a cad he was (laughs) and uh, how many women basically ruined themselves over him. Uh, Now, there are plans that are going through. I'm recording this in August 2020. It's not open as yet, but hopefully it's coming. There are plans for a Frankenstein museum a few doors up from the Jane Austen Museum, which I believe is a welcome antidote to the saccharine Regency period. Of course, Jane Austen didn't even like Bath, which is not discussed very much. She lived here for a few years and a character in Persuasion says it was oppressive, noisy and gloomy. The romantic vision of the city was not true even then. From a literary perspective, Charles Dickens also paid frequent visits to the city. He stayed at the Saracen's Head pub, which you can still go to. Uh, It's the oldest pub in Bath, I think, on a visit in 1835. And some say he created the old curiosity shop's Little Nell during a stay in St James's Square in 1840. And Bath's 19th century social life appears in the Pickwick Papers. And there is a plaque in St James's Square. You can see, I'll put it in the show notes, I've got a picture that says... Dickens stayed here. So there you go. But I particularly love the fact that Mary Shelley was here. And when I discovered this, I was, I just felt so grateful because it's a city that has both of these sides. And I personally sit more towards Frankenstein than I do towards Austin. But if you love Austin, then it's also a great place to visit. So I think I just was so appreciative of finding out about these other stories that are less well known about Bath. If you mention Frankenstein, people do not know uh, that it was written in Bath. Leylines, Druids and Freemasons. So if you take a walk up the hill from the Abbey toward the Royal Crescent, you will walk through the Circus, which is gorgeous. It's this round Georgian terrace with three layers of classical columns and lots of symbols. And it is actually impossible to take a picture that does it justice. I have tried. (laughs) So because it's so perfectly round, it's very hard to get it in in the hole. And uh, five enormous plane trees stand in the central garden, blocking the view of the buildings uh, if you try and take it across the way. And it's hard to picture this curved facade, but think of literally a perfect circle with these trees in the middle. And I used to walk through the circus almost every day before we moved up the hill. And it's a place I've come to love. So in the summer, the sound of the leaves is like the ocean on a windy day. It's really these wonderful sort of leafy windy sound and in the winter these skeletal branches reach toward the grey sky. Now it plays an important part in the story of Map of Shadows uh, particularly in the opening scene and it is far more than just a round terrace. 
So architect John Wood the Elder, who was very interested in the pagan and occult and Freemasonry, he designed the circus by modelling its dimensions on Stonehenge, which is only an hour southeast of the city. The outer circumference of the circus matches the prehistoric standing stones, as well as incorporating the druidic shapes of the circle and the crescent in the circus and the royal crescent just down the street. Some say a powerful ley line and energy line runs through the city, connecting spiritually significant places. There are also over 500 carved emblems along the frieze of the columns around the circus. So if you go, look up and look at all the individually carved emblems, they're fascinating. There are things like serpents, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, lightning bolts, wheat sheaves, and lots of symbols of religious and Freemasonry significance. Also, the layout of the circus, which is round, and then Gay Street, which is a a straight street that runs down from there, and Queen Square at the bottom form a key, a common symbol in Freemasonry. Bath also has a lovely Masonic Hall, which you can visit if you enjoy uh, visiting lodges and looking at that history. Walking the Kennerton Avon Canal But of course, Bath is more than a pile of old stones (laughs) and architecture. It is also close to nature, with the River Avon running through the heart of the city and the Kennison Avon Canal running southeast towards Bradford-on-Avon. The canal is my happy place and I have walked part of it almost every day during the lockdown phase of the 2020 pandemic. There is always something new to see. The seasons turn and the hedgerows and the trees change colour. The cygnets and the ducklings are born every spring and grow up on the water. The boats move on and new ones arrive. And there are always dogs and cats and people. And it's just a fascinating place. And I never tire of its infinite variety. There is always something to see along the canal. I think a lot while walking and sometimes write with dictation. And with the canal, there is no need to use any brain power on navigation. (laughs) It's just a straight line and I can't get lost. It's like walk in this direction for a couple of hours, turn around, walk back. (laughs) So I have documented my walk with lots of photos from Bath Spa Station to Bradford-on-Avon. It's around 17 kilometres. You can do it one way and return by train. You can also stop halfway and get off if you like, get a taxi back or something. There are opportunities for coffee, ice cream. There are toilets and a pub en route, as well as plenty of photo spots. And uh, you might even see me along the way. If you want to have a look at that route or walk that route, you can go and check that out. I'll link to that in the show notes. There are a lot of gorgeous walks around Bath that all take you beyond the tourist areas. Little Salisbury Hill is another of our favourites. It's an old Iron Age fort, a flat-topped hill with views back over the city and skylarks singing on the top in the summer. And the Skylarks have been wonderful this summer of lockdown. (laughs) You can walk from town through Larkhall Village, which has an excellent bakery, or along the canal and up through Bath Easton with a rest stop at the Bathhampton Mill pub for refreshments. And again, I'll link to that. The top of Little Salisbury Hill is a National Trust site, so uh, there's nothing built up there. It just has these wonderful views over the valley. You can also head up to Prior Park Gardens to look back over the valley in the opposite direction. 
For more walks around Bath, check out On Foot in Bath, 15 Walks Around a World Heritage City by Andrew Swift and Country Walks from Bath, also by Andrew Swift. And all the walks start from Bath City Centre and none of them are particularly long. Finding home in Bath during the pandemic. So as I write this and read this in uh, mid-August 2020, I have not travelled more than an hour from Bath since mid-March when the UK went into lockdown in response to the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. As a travel addict, as you know, and you probably listening are also one, at least in your mind, if not physically, and I have not remained in one place for this long. And I was trying to think, I think it was when I was at university in the mid-1990s. I travelled every holiday back then, and once I started at a job, I commuted to Europe every week. Like, I would get the train to Brussels, for example. I worked in Belgium, Finland, Holland, and then in Southampton, commuting from London. And then I headed off down under in the year 2000, and I've talked about the Australia trip, and I, I still haven't done my New Zealand episode, but that is coming. My life has been one of movement, And when the pandemic forced us to stay in one place, I had moments of rage. Perhaps you can identify with that. There were these sort of, I got very angry and being told I had to stay still at the pandemic for upending all our lives, at not being free anymore to go and leave when I wanted, just go somewhere else. And that anger was part of the stages of grief that so many of us have been through during this time. But I was able to walk it out (laughs) over kilometres along the canal or up Salisbury Hill every day. There's nothing like a just keep walking. If you're feeling angry, eventually you're going to stop because you're just you just get tired. (laughs) So as the anger subsided, I began to feel incredibly grateful to live somewhere that has everything I need for physical and mental health, somewhere so beautiful with fast internet so that I can work from home with enough facilities to support the community while things have been difficult. And as things are starting to ease here, some wonderful coffee shops and restaurants so we can begin to live more freely again, even in our local community. And this enforced period of remaining still has made me feel like Bath really is my home, at least for now. We will travel again soon, I hope, but I am content here. And that has surprised me because even though we bought a house, I wasn't sure it was our home. And now I just feel like, yeah, this is my home. Now, back in episode 30, recorded in mid-March near the beginning of the pandemic, I talked about sanctuary, retreat and belonging, the importance of home in difficult times. And I said then that I do not have roots here yet. And perhaps that is because I never stay still enough to put them down. And after five months of truly living in these few square miles, I feel that my roots are beginning to grow down into the soil of these hills, tapping into the ancient waterways. Some people have even commented that I'm beginning to pick up a West Country accent. (laughs) You are my lover. (laughs) Is it the very R in the West Country here? So I wanted to share my city of Bath with you. And when the world opens up again, I hope you will come here and see more than the average tourist does. 
So then in the show notes, I've included quite a long list of recommended restaurants, bars, pubs and coffee shops away from the tourist traps. I feel like there are so many, uh, as, as any tourist location, there are so many bad places to eat and drink around the hardcore tourist area. So I wanted to give some options if you do come to the city. I'm not going to read them all because it doesn't really suit the audio format, but I'm going to tell you a couple of them in case you do come because I want the places that we love to survive after the pandemic. So I really would love to see these places thriving again. Our favourite restaurant and wine bar in Bath is a place called Corkage, which has an ever-changing sharing plate menu based on local produce and an evolving wine list from different vineyards in lots of different places around the world. And what we love about it is you can order different wines by the glass. In fact, you don't even have to look at the wine list. You can just say what you like to the um, sommelier and they'll choose something for you. And I love that kind of surprise and Jonathan likes big reds and I like less big reds, (laughs) rosés and other different wines so we like to order different wines. So Corkage is my pick. It's not the most expensive place but it's also not super cheap so you can have a a lovely but it's a special place we love it Uh, we go there a lot one very special place that is very hard to get a table so you could book in advance is Menu Gordon Jones it has a tasting menu only and again I love tasting menus, which is basically the chef sends you what they have and what they're making that day. And uh, you don't get any choice, but it's always a surprise. So menu Gordon Jones. And then one more, I can recommend the Marlborough Tavern, which is gastropub Sunday roast. It has a little garden and is popular with locals. It's just, it's again, it's behind the Royal Crescent and most tourists would never know it was there. So uh, again, you'd need to book that couple of recommendations on pubs and cocktail bars and there are a lot of pubs in the west country <laughs> we like pubs but i'm personally more of a wine and gin drinker for authentic west country i recommend the bell on walcott street which has live music and a bohemian vibe as well as decent prices on beer and a pizza van it is owned and run by locals and it's what i would call authentic <laughs> it it's, it's got a wonderful story in that a whole load of musicians and locals gathered together and bought the place to keep it from being bought by the big gastropub chains. So it is not perfectly presented. It is uh, full of soul, let's say that. Definitely a great fun place with some superb music. So if you like live music, The Bell is a recommendation. The Canary Gin Bar is obviously one of my favourites. I'm, I'm a, a gin drinker. Home of the Bath Distillery because we have our own bath gin and lots of different other drinks if that's not to your taste. And finally, the Dark Horse in Kingsmead Square, which is an award-winning, interesting cocktail bar, a late night uh, venue, in my opinion, and uh, is the perfect place to finish an evening. Then just a couple of independent coffee shops. There are lots of independent coffee places in Bath. Uh, You can get some great coffee. Colonna and Small in Queen Square is where you know, love to go there. You choose from a selection of beans and preparations. It really is for coffee snobs, <laughs> which I have won. Boston Tea Party, which is my writing cafe, particularly the Alfred Street location at the top of town, which is a large airy space with plenty of room, except when it's brunch at the weekend when it's really busy but usually you can get a spot in there and I also wanted to mention Society which has a couple of locations and has a really has really good coffee 
So then just a couple of books set in Bath, because this is the Books and Travel podcast. Obviously, my own Map Walker trilogy. So that's Map of Shadows, Map of Plagues and Map of the Impossible, which uh, all feature Bath. And uh, the first book particularly has a lot in Bath and the canal and all kinds of things. So if you enjoy a bit of fantasy adventure, split world fantasy, check out those books. The Peter Diamond Mysteries, if you like crime mystery, uh, check out Peter Lovesey's Mysteries. He has a whole series set in Bath. Douglas Westcott has Go Swift and Far and An Unfolding Soul, both uh, set in Bath, and the wonderful Ackerman Press. So I mentioned On Foot in Bath, but this is basically uh, a couple of local authors who have a ton of books written about Bath, lots with wonderful pictures. I've got lots of their books. Um, Their books include Ghost Signs of Bath. I didn't even mention Ghost Signs, but all around Bath, if you look up on walls and things, you'll see these signs, ghost signs from a couple of hundred years ago or a hundred years ago that are faded and kind of left on the walls. So they're all around the city and ghost signs of Bath will help point them out. But you can see a lot of them just walking around. Uh, Literary walks in Bath, the myth maker uh, about the occult inspirations of architect John Wood, country walks from Bath and more. So that's Ackerman Press. Again, I'll link to them in the show notes. So I hope you've enjoyed this little talk about Bath. And uh, as you can tell, I feel quite differently about the place since being here during the pandemic and really learning to appreciate where I live. And I think I've definitely been guilty. I mean, maybe many of us who travel are not guilty, but, you know, of every holiday going and doing things in other places. Whereas I've really learned to do more in my local area and I've loved it. And I feel very content to be here. Of course, I'm really looking forward to going away again but equally uh, I live in a wonderful city so I hope you've enjoyed the darker side and uh, if you do come here you will be able to see more than the average tourist so yes happy travels and I'll see you next time thanks for joining me today on the books and travel podcast I hope you found a moment of escape you can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.